Hey there, Davis. Hope you're navigating through your Monday with ease. And it looks like Washington, D.C. is treating you to a bit of a mixed bag weather-wise today, Davis. A high of 62 degrees and some scattered clouds to kick things off, shifting to broken clouds as the evening rolls in. As you move through your day, we've got the latest news to keep you informed and ready for whatever comes next. At the top of our stories today, the world's leading energy trading houses like VTOL and Trafigura are sitting on billions in equity after shelling out record dividends. But here's the twist. They're struggling to find worthwhile green energy investments. With the International Energy Week in London on the horizon, this cash conundrum is set to spark discussions among industry heavyweights. It's all about finding a balance between profitability and sustainability amidst tightening financial conditions. I'm Jonathan Martin. And I'm Steve Onsker. This is First Light from PocketPod News. Crossing over to Europe, North American venture capitalists ventured out seeking fortunes, but have found the terrain harder to navigate than expected. Language barriers, local competition, and regulatory mazes have left many U.S. firms rethinking their strategies in an increasingly crowded European startup ecosystem. And finally, over in Ukraine, Prime Minister announces anticipated economic backing from the United States, totaling $11.8 billion for this year alone. Amidst an ongoing conflict that has stretched finances thin, this assistance could be a lifeline for Ukraine as it eyes a significant budget gap ahead in 2024. A packed day of news with financial maneuvers on global scales and pivotal international aids shaping futures. Stay with us. We'll help make sense of it all as your day unfolds. This message is brought to you by PocketPod. Say goodbye to one-size-fits-all podcasts and hello to a fully personalized listening experience with AI-crafted podcast made just for you. Head over to PocketPod.app to join the waitlist. In the world of global energy, a financial conundrum is unfolding. That's right. Leading trading houses like VTOL and Trafigura have found themselves sitting on mountains of cash after reaping record profits. But here's the catch. They're struggling to find lucrative places to park that wealth, especially in the green energy sector, which hasn't been yielding expected returns. And it's not just about where to invest. These companies are also reconsidering their financial strategies, moving towards self-financing rather than leaning on bank loans for their operations. With such significant shifts in strategy and the challenges of investing in a sustainable future, it begs the question, what does this mean for the future of global energy markets? To unpack all this, we're joined by PocketPod News visiting business analyst Anthony Byers. Anthony, these energy giants are traditionally known for low cash reserves and high dividends. So what's driving this dramatic shift? Well, Jonathan, the shift is primarily a result of these companies experiencing record profits recently. For instance, VTOL's total equity soared to $26 billion after it paid out $5 billion in dividends from a staggering $15 billion earnings in 2022. Similarly, Trafigure's equity grew almost two and a half times to $16.5 billion over the last four years. This financial boon has left them with a significant dilemma. What to do with their burgeoning cash reserves amidst scarce, lucrative investment opportunities, especially in the green energy sector, which hasn't been yielding promising returns lately. That's quite the financial windfall for these companies. But with such an abundance of cash, why are they hesitant to invest more aggressively in green energy? 
The hesitance stems from a broader industry skepticism about the current profitability of renewable resources. Despite a global push towards sustainability and green energy, the returns on investments in this sector have been underwhelming in recent years. This skepticism is evident among top trading houses like Vital and Trafigura, which are now grappling with how best to allocate their substantial cash reserves while still adhering to their growth ambitions and sustainability commitments. Interesting perspective there. Now, you mentioned margin calls and shifts in financial strategy earlier. Can you delve into how that's influencing these companies' operations? Absolutely. The surge in gas prices, particularly following reduced supplies from Russia, led to significant margin calls for these trading houses. This situation essentially forced them to keep more cash on hand to cover these calls and prompted a strategic pivot towards self-financing their operations rather than relying heavily on bank loans for derivatives trading as they might have done previously. It's a notable shift that underscores how market volatility can prompt reevaluation of longstanding financial strategies within the sector. And speaking of bank loans, how has this shift affected their relationships with banks? And their reduced reliance on bank borrowing has indeed strained relationships with some financial institutions. Banks have found themselves in an uncomfortable position. They're uneasy when traders max out credit lines during crises, but are also concerned when those lines are underutilized due to increased self-financing by traders. At the peak of margin call crises, we saw traders fully utilizing available credit lines from up to 150 banks, totaling around $50 billion, an event that no doubt left many banks reassessing their exposure and relationship dynamics with these trading giants. Anthony, before we wrap up, any final thoughts on what this all means for the future of energy trading? Jonathan, we're witnessing what might be a transformative phase within the global energy trading sector as these companies navigate through unprecedented levels of cash reserves amid challenging investment landscapes and evolving market conditions. It could herald broader shifts in how they manage finances and strategize for growth amidst uncertainty. The move towards self-sufficiency and cautious investment might not only redefine their business models, but could also influence broader industry trends concerning sustainability investments and financial management strategies. Thanks for those insights, Anthony. Thank you for having me, Jonathan. Venture capital investment is always on the lookout for the next big opportunity. And for a while, Europe seemed to be it. Absolutely. Following Spotify's successful IPO, North American venture capitalists rushed to Europe, hoping to find the continent's next unicorn. But it hasn't been all smooth sailing. Indeed. Despite the initial attraction, North American VCs have faced several challenges, from cultural and operational differences across European countries to increased competition within the European VC ecosystem itself. Yet there's still something alluring about Europe's startup scene. With clearer regulations in some sectors and a continued interest from U.S.-based LPs, there seems to be a path forward for those willing to adapt. To navigate through these complexities and opportunities, we're joined by PocketPod News Business and Finance Correspondent Scott Dwyer. Scott, what can North American VCs do to successfully invest in Europe? Well, Jonathan, the key for North American venture capitalists looking to invest in Europe seems to lie in understanding and adapting to the unique landscape of the European market. The initial attraction, largely spurred by high-profile successes like Spotify's IPO, showcased the potential for outsized exits. But as we've seen, simply pouring money into Europe isn't a guaranteed path to success. One of the primary challenges has been cultural and operational differences across countries. 
Unlike the relatively homogenized U.S. market, Europe is a mosaic of diverse cultures and business practices which can complicate investment strategies. That diversity sounds like a double-edged sword. On one hand, it offers a wide range of opportunities. On the other, it presents significant challenges. How have these challenges affected North American VCs' presence in Europe? Indeed, Jonathan, the challenges have led some notable firms like KOTU and OMERS to exit the region altogether. Moreover, there's been a significant decline in the overall value of European deals involving at least one U.S. investor, 57% lower in 2023 compared to just a year earlier. This decline underscores not just operational hurdles, but also increased competition within the European VC market itself. Speaking of competition, how has the landscape changed within Europe? Are local investors stepping up? Absolutely. The European VC ecosystem has matured remarkably over recent years. Now, 80% of capital deployed in Europe is actually European, which signifies a strong shift towards local funding sources for early-stage startups. This local dominance is reshaping how deals are made and who gets to make them, a trend highlighted by General Catalyst's merger with La Familia based in Berlin. You mentioned strategic missteps by North American VCs focusing too much on London. Could you elaborate on that? Sure thing. Many North American venture capitalists initially concentrated their efforts almost exclusively in London, arguably because it offered familiarity within an otherwise diverse continent. However, this London-centric approach meant missing out on burgeoning startup hubs across mainland Europe where opportunities were equally ripe but less saturated with competition. Regulatory environments also play a crucial role here, right? Precisely. For sectors like AI and crypto where U.S. regulations remain murky at best, Europe's clearer regulatory frameworks offer an attractive proposition for investment. Firms like Andreessen Horowitz seizing this opportunity by opening offices focused on blockchain and crypto in London exemplify this trend. Despite these numerous challenges you've described, there's still significant interest from U.S.-based limited partners, LPs, correct? That's correct, Jonathan. Success stories continue to bolster confidence among U.S.-based LPs about Europe's potential for generating reliable outcomes, Plural raising its first fund in 2022, with substantial investments from U.S. endowments being a prime example here. In conclusion, while initial excitement may have waned due to various hurdles, from cultural differences to strategic misalignments, the underlying opportunities for North American VCs willing to adapt their strategies remain robust within Europe's diverse ecosystem. Fascinating insights as always, Scott. Thanks for breaking down this complex landscape for us today. My pleasure, Jonathan. Always happy to delve into these intricate topics with you. As Ukraine continues its defense against a now two-year-old Russian invasion, the country is facing more than just military challenges. Indeed, with a staggering $37 billion budget gap looming for 2024, the economic strain is palpable, but there's a glimmer of hope on the horizon with expected financial aid from international allies. Ukraine is looking to the United States and the European Union for significant support. Prime Minister Denis Schmeichel recently announced an anticipated $11.8 billion from the U.S., alongside 18 billion euros from the EU. To dig deeper into what this means for Ukraine and its ongoing struggle for stability, we'll be speaking with PocketPod News international political correspondent Alexandra Klein. Absolutely, Steve. 
Ukraine's economic landscape is indeed facing a pivotal moment as the country grapples with the repercussions of a now two-year-old Russian invasion. The anticipated $11.8 billion in economic support from the United States and 18 billion euros from the European Union underscore a significant international commitment to aiding Ukraine during this difficult time. That's a substantial amount of support. Can you break down what this financial aid means for Ukraine in practical terms? Certainly. Starting with the U.S. support, the $11.8 billion earmarked for Ukraine is part of a larger international effort to help the country manage its financial challenges amid ongoing conflict. This figure was announced by Ukrainian Prime Minister Denis Shmyhal on February 25th, highlighting it as a critical injection to address immediate financial strains and support defense efforts against Russian aggression. On top of that, there's the European Union's commitment of 18 billion euros through its Ukraine facility, approved earlier this year. This funding is not just about numbers. It represents a lifeline for Ukraine's economy, offering vital resources that can be allocated towards rebuilding and stabilizing sectors hardest hit by the war. And talking about challenges, you mentioned a $37 billion budget gap for 2024. How critical is this situation? It's extremely critical, Steve. The $1.37 billion budget gap illustrates just how severe the economic impact of this prolonged conflict has been on Ukraine's finances. It indicates not only immediate fiscal challenges, but also highlights potential long-term repercussions on economic stability and growth prospects if these gaps aren't adequately addressed. Prime Minister Denis Shmihal expressed optimism about receiving this aid during a televised conference in Kiev. What does his statement signify in broader terms? Prime Minister Schmeihal's optimism reflects both hope and reliance on continued international support to navigate through these tumultuous times. His comments aren't just about expressing gratitude. They signify an understanding that Ukraine's resilience and eventual recovery are closely tied to global cooperation and assistance. His statements also shed light on the broader implications of such support. It's not only about bridging financial gaps, but also about reinforcing Ukraine's position on an international stage as it defends itself against aggression, while striving towards economic stability and growth. With all these efforts and financial backing, what could we expect for Ukraine going forward? Looking ahead, Steve, these substantial commitments from both the United States and European Union offer tangible signs of international solidarity with Ukraine. While challenges remain monumental, especially with an uncertain end to the conflict, such support provides crucial breathing space for Ukraine's economy. It allows for strategic planning towards reconstruction efforts and bolstering defenses while ensuring that essential services and governmental functions continue uninterrupted amidst adversity. In essence, while immediate hurdles are daunting, there's cautious optimism that with sustained international backing like this, Ukraine can navigate through current turbulences towards eventual recovery and stabilization. A complex situation indeed, but one filled with glimpses of hope thanks to international cooperation. That was PocketPod News International political correspondent Alexandra Klein. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Steve. It was important discussing these critical developments concerning Ukraine's ongoing struggle and resilience amidst adversity. And that's First Light for Monday, February 26, 2024. I'm Jonathan Martin. And I'm Steve Onsker. Thank you for listening, Davis. We hope you have a good day, and we will see you tomorrow. This podcast was created by PocketPod entirely with AI. If you'd like to learn more, 
head over to pocketpod.app.